And if you have your, this Bible, it's on page 253. And otherwise, you can look up Ecclesiastes on your phone app. Uh, but because this is like an overview, um, I'm going to be taking verses, uh, theme verses from the entire uh, book of the several chapters. Uh, Sixty years ago, there was a man named Hugh Moorhead. Can I have a little less? So I could, t- thank you, Brian, appreciate it. Uh, uh, a man named Hugh Moorhead began a hobby of, of writing to philosophers, scientists, and authors who, uh, about the meaning of life. He wanted them to respond, what is the meaning and purpose of life? And so a guy named Isaac Imoff, he wrote back, as far as I can see, there's no purpose to life. Carl Jung, the Austrian physicist or psychiatrist, he wrote, I don't know what the meaning or purpose of life is, but it looks as if there is something meant by it. Arthur Clarke, the author of that uh, movie 2001, I'm afraid I have no concrete ideas of the purpose for life. Albert Ellis, famous psychiatrist. As far as I can tell, life has no special or intrinsic meaning or purpose. Gerald Frank, a scientist, wrote, In the cosmic scheme, scheme, I can neither see meaning nor purpose to life. Edward Gorney wrote, I doubt if there is one. William Gasp wrote, there is no meaning to life. Thomas Nagel wrote, I'm afraid the meaning of life still eludes me. Joseph Heller wrote, I have no answers to the meaning of life, and I no longer want to search for any. Is there purpose and meaning in life? Can we know why we are here on this earth, or are we just dust in the wind, here today and gone tomorrow? Well, King Solomon, he struggled with the same question. And he begins his, uh, his book, Ecclesiastes, in this way. He said, there are the, these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Um, and then in verse 9, what has, what has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again, like a cycle and there's nothing new under the sun. Now, this is coming from a guy who had everything. King Solomon had incredible wisdom because God blessed him with wisdom and riches and power and position. And yet he found that life under the sun, everything was meaningless. Or other versions say vanity of vanities or futility, which means useless, empty, of any value or significance. And this phrase, under the sun, was used 29 times exclusively for this book, in this book, Ecclesiastes. 29 different times, meaning life on this earth, under the sun, void of God. It doesn't mean that people don't believe in God. I mean, 95% of Americans would survey, we believe in God, and people around the world, same thing. But life under the sun is putting God, pushing God to the perimeter. He really doesn't matter to my day-to-day existence. Yeah, I believe in him, but he doesn't matter. That's life under the sun as defined by Solomon throughout this book. At some point during his reign, Solomon modified his priorities. He would gradually replace pursuit of God with the pursuit of little gods, little idols, other things other than God to be worshipped. And Solomon would compromise, for example, with the women in his life. 
He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Holy smokes. Many of them who were foreigners in direct uh, disobedience to God's command, do not marry women outside of Israel. And yet he did, and as a result, he compromised himself with the foreign gods that they brought to him. And then he compromised the land and the nation of Israel by building places to false gods and idols on high places. And because of that, they experienced great national uh, devastation. C.S. Lewis wrote, Indeed, the safest road to hell is a gradual one. It's a gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And before he knew it, Solomon, the wisest man, was in the, walking in the wrong direction, and he was not even cognizant of that. Solomon would never fully reject the one true God of Israel. He just added many gods to his list to worship. And God would allow Solomon to reap the sin that he had sown of disobedience and of idolatry, not only personally, but again nationally, as, as there was a great civil war between Israel and Judah, and then they began to war against each other rather than be one nation of Israel. And as a result, all sorts of bad things happened. And then when fi finally Solomon took a personal inventory of his life, like in the last third of his life, he remembered all of the extravagant wealth that he had enjoyed and all of his wisdom and all of his position and power and even pleasure that he experienced. And he said, those were good times, but why do I have this gnawing and lasting emptiness in my soul at this point? It's because he pushed God out of the center of his life. Like Solomon, when people live life under the sun, they pursue many other things rather than him, leaving them empty. And so what did Solomon pursue to fill his void, to fill his emptiness? Well, we're told throughout Ecclesiastes the many things that he pursued. I boiled it down into three or four different categories. First was he pursued pleasure. I mean, if it feels good, do it. We read in chapter 2, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this, too, was meaningless. Later on, he said, I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in my hard work, a reward for all of my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Now, the American, average American has improved their lifestyle exponentially in the past 50 years. <clears throat> Most of us today would say we have indoor air conditioning, for example. <clears throat> we can travel anywhere in the world overnight almost now. Um, medical miracles extend our life, and they, they decrease the pain that our parents and grandparents had to live through because of medication, etc. So... We have much greater pleasure in that sense. Solomon had instant access to any pleasure at the snap of his fingers. In 2.8, he said, I hired wonderful singers, for example, both men and women, and they would come right away and sing. I had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Any average American can almost do the same thing at a snap of a finger. 
any form of entertainment. We have iTunes. We have Pandora. We have Sirius XM, cable network. We have internet, smartphones, Netflix, Amazon Prime, TikTok, Disney Plus, on and on at the snap of our fingers right here. We are entertained to death. When I was a kid, we had something we called the outdoors, kids. We took a little can and we kicked it down the road. That's what we did for entertainment. We kicked it down the road, kicked the can. And when we ran out of that, we played hide-and-go-seek. I remember getting stuck in a tree for three days and three nights, kids. <laughs> Kidding. But we did play kick the can. According to a guy named Greg Easterbrook in The Progress Paradox, he said, happiness has not risen in tandem with our many advances. In fact, he discovered just the opposite. He said, clinical depression instead has risen in eerie synchronization with our rising prosperity and now we're experiencing roughly 10 times the diagnosed cases that we did 50 years ago, and yet we're entertained to death. Solomon pursued also wealth and all, the, all that money could buy. In, verse, in chapter 2 he said, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. In, in verse 8, I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. Chapter 5, those who love money will never have enough, he realized. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. happiness. I've gone to some estate sales in my life, have you? They're, they're interesting to go to, but what always strikes me when I go into these homes or in the yards and see all this stuff I always see the personal and unique items that are being auctioned off. And I, I think each one has a memory, a family memory of raising your kids. You see toys and, and you see things like books and tools and, and collections and dishes and knickknacks and all of them contain personal memories and they're being sold for pennies to the dollar to complete strangers. Meaningless, Solomon says. Chapter 6, this is another serious tragedy I've seen under the sun, and it weighs heavily on humanity. God gives some people great wealth and honor and everything that they could ever want, but then he doesn't give them the chance to enjoy these things. They die, and someone else, even a stranger, ends up enjoying their wealth for pennies to the dollar. This is meaningless, a sickening tragedy, according to Solomon, as he assessed his life. And then Solomon pursued accomplishments in his life. Chapter 211, he said, But as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was also meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I came to hate all of my hard work here on earth, earth for I must leave to others everything that I've earned. Chapter 4, I observe that most people are motivated to success. They work hard because they envy their neighbors. They want what the Joneses have next door. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Chapter 5, and this too is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. After Tom Brady won his third Super Bowl before he was age 30, he sat down with 60 Minutes for an interview, and he had to acknowledge his gnawing emptiness that he felt. He said, 
quote, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still there's something greater out there and think that there's something greater out there for me? A lot of people would say, hey, hey, this is what it's all about. I've reached my goal and my dream. But then he returns to Astas. He said, but there's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't what it's all cracked up to be. A thousand older people were interviewed by a lifelong nurse, and she wanted to, at, at their end of their life, and she asked, what are some of your regrets in life? And they said one of the top one was spending so much time worrying about things that we can't control and pursuing things that will not last. You know, I sat next to a guy at a, a bed not long ago, and he told me about his marvelous house and his yard. His wife had died just months ago, and now he was on his deathbed. And I wanted to t have him talk about his garden and his lawn and everything, and he just said, meaningless, meaningless. I mean, I spent so much time on this stuff, and I just give it to someone. Every single male patient indicated that their number one regret, according to this nurse, was spending so much time working and thereby robbing themselves of their most significant, important relationships in life. Life under the sun can be meaningless also when there's surprising pain or injustice that come in our life. And so Solomon grappled with this issue of injustice and pain. In chapter 222, he said, what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. Or how about injustice? I also noticed under the sun that there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even in the courts of law are corrupt. And we could extend that to government. We think, no, really? <laughs> Chapter 4, again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. Chapter 8, and this is not what, and this is not all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they're wicked, and wicked people is, are treated as though they are good. This is so meaningless, and we see this all the time. Good is bad, and bad is good, and people don't know what's up. Chapter 9, I've observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race, and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. It's all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. People can never predict when hard times might come, like fish in a net or birds in a trap. People are caught by sudden tragedy. Last Sunday, I received a phone call from our youngest daughter from Manhattan Christian College, and she informed me that one of her classmates, as he was driving, uh, went over a bridge, spun out of control, crashed, and was killed instantly. This was a student basketball player or student coach, maybe graduated last year. He was dating a girl that was my daughter's friend, and just like that, it seems so meaningless. Futility. And so chapter 12, Solomon looked at that and he said, I saw that the wise and the foolish, they all share the same fate. Both will die. People come to my hometown of Jamestown, New York, 
all the time to visit Lucio Ball's tombstone because of her, her renowned um, contributions to life or accomplishments. Did you know that Lucio Ball was not only known for her show, I Love Lucy, and the other shows that spun off of that, but she was known for shows like Star Trek. It was because of Lucy and Desi, her husband. They believed in the Star Trek episode that first came out when everyone else wanted to shut the door. So she's accomplished a lot, but then you go to her tombstone, you travel for days to get to her tombstone, go in the cemetery, and this is what you see. Lucille Desiree Ball uh, Morton, August 6, 1911 to April 26, 1989. You've come home. So that's what I came to see? That's what I came to see? Okay. Solomon discovered nothing really matters under the sun without the promise of life after death. Hundreds of years later, the Apostle Paul would include the same, he would conclude the same thing when he said, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost, and if it's only for this life that we have hope in Christ, then we of all people are most to be pitied. Futile, futility. If Christ didn't raise, and if there's no resurrection of life after death, then we, sitting here this morning, are the ones to be most pitied because we're believing a lie, and it's all futility. But God gave humans a gift. He gave him a hunger for himself, a restlessness within our souls that we might seek after him. It's innate within us. In fact, he's, he said in, uh, through Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3, he has set eternity in the human heart. In the Garden of Eden, we were supposed to live forever. When sin entered the world, so did death. But yet our heart and our soul, it feels like it, as though it should live forever because we were created to live forever. And in Christ, we will live forever. But this side of earth, death makes no sense to us. I mean, it's, it's an enemy. And so it just doesn't make sense in its futility. Augustine said, Thou hast made us, God, for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. Blaine Pascal wrote, There's a God-shaped vacuum in our heart which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, who made, who was made known through Jesus Christ. So nothing really does matter under the sun without living for God. However, everything matters if you live life under the sun, S-O-N, for the living Son of God. Every word that we speak Every deed that we practice, every motive that we have matters and will extend into eternity if we are under the Son of God. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is resurrection. Always give yourselves therefore fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not vanity of vanities has purpose and meaning and significance. 
on almost any tombstone, you'll find something that's similar. And it's um, spoken of by Linda Ellis in this poem. You've heard this before, I bet. I read of a man who stood to speak at a funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that the first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears, but he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they, that they spent alive on earth, and now only those who love them know that little line, what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things you say and do about how you spent your dash? Everything that transpires during the dash of our short lives will have eternal significance if we live life under the Son of God. Even our pain, even the injustice unleashed against us will have eternal significance if we live under the sun. All the wrongs against us will one day be made right. Even the injustices against us and the false accusations can be redeemed. God works all things out for the good for those who love the Lord. Even the evil that Satan throws at us, he will recycle and he will use it for something good for his kingdom. Chapter 317, I said to myself, in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. Every act of our service to God will matter. 11, 9, young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Go play kick the can. Do everything you want. Take it all in, but remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. Jesus affirmed this when he said, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. And he also said, but I tell you that everyone who must give an account for the day of judgment for every empty word that they have spoken, for your words will, not, will be acquitted, and by your words you'll be condemned. In other words, there will be accountability. All the wrongs will be made right. All the injustices will be set straight. Solomon discovered living life under the sun on this earth was meaningless. We are all just dust in the wind apart from God. There's nothing new under the sun, and we've all, we've all felt that too. But we've experienced that life under the sun makes all the difference in the world. Life under the sun, all things are new. All things are new. Rather than nothing is new under the sun, all things become new under the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Here are some of the new things that Scripture tells us, just a, just a handful. Under the Son of God, David in Psalms wrote, God has put a new song in my mouth. Isaiah said, God is doing a new thing in our lives. He also said, you will be called by a new name. God said through Jeremiah, I will make a new covenant with my people. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Solomon said, God's mercies are new every morning. God through Ezekiel said, I will put 
I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. The Apostle Paul said, anyone in Christ is a new creation. Jesus said, I give you a new command. Love one another as I've loved you. The Apostle Paul said, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and put on your new self, created by be like God in true holiness and righteousness. The writer of Hebrews said, God has made one new humanity out of two. The Apostle Peter said, God has given us a new birth into living hope. In his revelation, John said, I see in the future a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And then he also heard all the saints singing a new song before the throne of the Lamb forever. That's what life under the sun is. And that's what we're promised. So, are we all just dust in the wind? At the end of his life, Solomon said, heavens no. Here is now my final conclusion. He ended his book. Fear God. Fear God. Don't be like me. Don't pursue all these things that are meaningless. But fear God and obey his command. For this is everyone's duty. And then we'll all be held accountable. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. In other words, he's saying we have eternal significance if we live life under the sun because we'll be with God for eternity. Got to say one more thing before I wrap up here. We might get the impression reading this book that we're going to be judged based good or bad. If our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, then we'll make it into heaven. That's not how it works according to the mystery of the gospel in the new covenant. The gospel is this. None of us are good enough to be in God's presence. We all fall short. Even one sin is enough to cast us away from God forever. We're on the same boat. That's why Jesus came as our Savior, because he took all of our sin upon himself when he hung on the cross. All the things that we regret, all the things that we're ashamed of, he, he took upon himself. And in, in, in exchange, he traded for his righteousness. So when we receive Christ, we not only receive the spirit of Christ within us, but he makes us righteous. That's what happened at the cross. So if you want to experience the newness, the new creation that the Apostle Paul spoke of, if you want to experience the new heaven and new earth one day for eternity, you need to be filled with the righteousness of Christ and cleansed by his forgiveness. If you haven't done that, then you just believe about, in God. You just believe about Jesus. You haven't received him. And this morning you can do that. You can just say, Lord Jesus, I know about you, some, but I don't know you, and so please come into my life. Cleanse me of my sin. Make me righteous. Make me fit for heaven for eternity. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus, what a joy and privilege it is to be able to worship together as your church, as your ecclesia, church gathered together. And we thank you, Lord, for this book of Ecclesiastes um, and how how Solomon wrestled with his life. But I pray, Lord, that if there's, there are those in this place or listening online who are not certain that they have a relationship with you, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you give them a new life, make them a new creation, a son or a daughter of God this morning, and extend this gift to them. And I pray, Lord, that as they acknowledge this and simply receive it, as a gift and say thank you that you make them new that you change 
them on the inside out so that we become new creations, people who have a hope, not only in this life, but in the life to come. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel and for your gift of salvation. In Christ's name, amen.